Hey guys, so I just want to come by and tell you about my most recent webinar on interview preparation for the IMG. Um, it's a 60 minute webinar with additional information as to how you can make yourself sound good and create likability during an interview. You can find it at imgroadmap.com slash p slash interview prep. The link is in the description box. The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the IMG Roadmap Podcast. Today's guest is a newly matched physician. His name is Dr. Samuel Wabi. He's from Nigeria and he's currently in the state of Georgia. So I'll go ahead and welcome him on the show so he can introduce himself to us. Welcome doc, how are you? I'm fine. I'm glad to be here, Dr. Nina. Nice to be on your show. Basically, you have lots of lots of information on your podcast. I'm grateful for you. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you so much. You know, it means a lot to me when someone that has listened to the podcast is actually a guest because you really know what, what we talk about <laughs> and you know kind of like, you know, what's important. So it means a lot to me to hear that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm kind of thinking, where do we start, right? So can you tell us a little bit about your medical background, where you went to medical school, what year you graduated, when you moved to the States, that kind of, um, those kind of details? All right. So I had my medical school in Nigeria. I graduated in 2016. I worked for a year, like a um, compulsory internship that we do in Nigeria. Then after that, I moved to the States. I got um, admission to um, a master's in public health program here in Georgia. And I would say that's where my journey fully began, like the whole USMO journey. And well, presently, I mashed into family medicine with one single interview which um, I'm grateful for. So that's been my journey so far. I know that's abbreviated, but that's like, it's in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, I'll, I'll help you like piece it out, okay? So just to kind of back, go back to what you said, you graduated medical school from University of Benin in Benin City, Nigeria in 2016. Is that correct? Yes, that's very correct. So can you tell us what you have been doing since 2016 up until matching this month of March 2020? All right. So like finished medical school. I had to work for a year. It's our compulsory internship. Then I started a master's in public health program in 2018 at Georgia, here in Georgia. And my concentration was epidemiology. During that time, I took my board exam, step one, step two CS, and step two CK. It was really stressful, but I was able to combine both of them together. I possibly won't advise it to anyone, but I was able to do that. And I used my breaks to do a few observerships. I think I did um, three. I had three observerships. I rotated with like um, physicians and physician offices. It wasn't easy for me to get um, hospital rotations, you know, that I could go to since I had already graduated from medical school. It's easier for people who are medical students to get, you know, electives or rotations in hospitals. But once you graduated, it's much more difficult to get like a position in a hospital. So I used physician offices. It was 
better than nothing. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I think that's about it. And I applied for, I applied for the cycle in August and yay, I got my match results. I was surprised because I didn't expect it. <laughs> yeah. So we'll definitely come back to the matching after one interview part. Cause that's almost, it's rare, right? I don't want to say unheard of, but it's rare, but coming back to let's, let's go back to how you studied. You said you did all three exams in one year. <laughs> I would say 18 months, more like, but about a year, actually. You know, it was August, August. I like basically took my step one in like August, September. Then I took the last exam in August of 2019. So I would say it was about roughly 15 months. Yeah. yeah. So the next time an IMG sends me a message to ask, hey, do you think I can do this in one year or in 18 months even? I'll tell them yes, because I know somebody that did it. Because I think one of the things that holds some IMGs back is just thinking about all the tests. So they end up spending three, four years in gap in a gap season without doing anything uh, clinically relevant. And so by the time they get their scores back and they're ready to apply, then they have this gap that has just been left empty, you know, so to speak. Even though they've achieved their exams, but that's about yeah. the thing that they've got in that time frame. So speaking of gaps, you did move to the States to pursue a public health degree. Is that correct? Yeah. Master's degree. Yeah. Yes. Did you find that useful at all for the residency match? I would say, I don't think I found it useful, of course, obviously, maybe probably getting interviews, but I think it was really useful during my interview. You know, I think it was maybe not a big chunk of why I matched, but it contributed to like having a smooth interview because it showed that like, I, you know, I, I love family medicine and doing a public health degree, it was how I was able to talk about like the public health degree being useful for family medicine. I think it was, it caught like the attention of the person who was interviewing me. So I would say it's not, it may not be particularly useful in you getting an interview, but in terms of, the interview experience, it makes you a much more rounded candidate. It does depend on how you sell yourself. That's what matters, how you sell yourself. So you think that the MPH itself did not offer you more interview opportunity, but it did help with maybe more what we'll call acculturation, like getting familiar with the system and understanding what was necessary to interview well. Is that what you're saying? I'm just trying to get some clarification for the person listening. The reason I'm yeah. asking this is, you know, I've had some IMGs that would, would ask me, do you think I should do an MPH or do, should I do a master's degree? But the reason they're wanting to pursue that is because they, the perception is that that will make them more appealing for interviews. And that's really kind of what I want to get from you. I want to know how beneficial that was to you as somebody who, who is actively actually still completing their MPH. Yeah, I would say the one thing it does for you is it makes your curriculum, like your CV, your resume, it makes it look a little bit more foreign, especially as an IMG, you know, because as an IMG, the only thing that's going to be on your CV is probably your medical school degree. And we don't, we do a lot of volunteering in Africa or like wherever you are, but you don't really have like it formalized like in the US. So what the, what the MPH program or a master's program does for you is one, it gives you an opportunity to have like an extra qualification on your resume. It also helps you in terms of like gap year, like, oh, what have you been doing since you finished medical school while you were preparing for the boards? 
you are doing right. a public, you are doing a master's um, master's program. So those kind of help you. But the thing about the USMLE is that I've come to understand that there's a hierarchy of like things that make you a more palatable candidate. And I would say the MPH isn't at the top of that or like a master's program isn't at the top of that list. So the one thing I'm pretty very sure using my experience that it helps you for is one, acculturation. It's very important to like know, understand, you know, small talk, you know, little things like that, small talk. And also you can have some research. Now I didn't have any published research, but I had a lot of unpublished work that I'm going to submit like in the next few weeks. So I could talk about that during the interview. And I think those things really made my interview experience really good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I mean, I'm with you on that because I I think that um, especially for IMGs from our part of the world, um, West Africa, we lack in just, oh, how do I say this? We lack in and just that like being personable with when we encounter an uncomfortable situation. So for example, like interviewing is, um, it could be an uncomfortable situation and showing our character. A lot of us mostly sink inside. And like you said, making small talk, just those little things that, you know, come naturally to people that maybe are raised in a different society. But meanwhile, those little things go a long way because it shows that we're approachable, we're easy to learn, we're teachable, we'll be great residents. But sometimes we don't allow our character to shine during interviews. I mean, would you agree on that? I totally agree. You know, I can't stress this enough. I knew going into the matching season or the interview season that my strength was kind of interviews. It's one of the reasons why I want to do family medicine. I know that like interviews are kind of like my strength and I really leveraged on it because I realized that as like IMGs, we may have all the knowledge about like clinical stuff, the good scores, but the one thing that we usually lack is being able to connect, being able to connect and talk about the weather, being able to connect and talk about sports, even if you have no deep in-depth knowledge about like American football, but you know, you can connect on a level that it's not just based on like your academics. For each of the people who interviewed me, I was interviewed by seven different attendants, right? Seven okay. different attendants. And for the seven people who interviewed me, I made sure I had at least one discussion with them that was like totally off base from medicine, family medicine. It might have been random stuff about like the community, you know, the weather in Georgia, you know, just basically something that shows you that they can work with you like at 12 a.m. or like 1 a.m. at night and they would feel comfortable. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a really good point too because I see some IMG. So for example, you know, we'll come back to how many interviews you got and, and some points on that. But I know IMGs that get tons of interviews but don't match. And I think sometimes it's related to just how they perform during the interview itself and the things that they did not say or the things that they they could have shown and didn't get that opportunity to do that. So let, let me ask you this, because you said you only had one interview and you matched. How many yeah. programs did you apply into? <laughs> Very good question. I applied to about um, 100 and I applied to about 120 programs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I applied, I applied to about 120 programs. Did I make a few mistakes in choosing the programs? I think I did. I, I did. I did my research quite well. But at the same time, I think later on, I realized that I made a few mistakes. You know, sometimes you're hopeful that a place would like 
be more, you know, IMG friendly this year or something. That was like like a random guess. I just guessed. I was hoping that it was going to be that way, but it turned out like places that are IMG friendly are IMG friendly. That's like the bottom line. That's what I learned. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I think selecting a program is just as important as anything because, you know, when you, if we don't know better, we don't look at, you know, the specifics of what the programs are asking for. Sometimes we can just apply blindly into multiple programs, but we're not targeting them. And it's really important that as IMGs, we really consider targeting programs. So it's just not about applying, but you want to target places where you actually stand a chance. And there's a method to it as well, which is something that I teach extensively with one of my courses that I offer, which is the Angie Roadmap courses. How do you determine a program is friendly? You know, I personally think every program could be friendly because we just don't know. Their prog- but, but historically, we do know that there are programs that have never accepted an IMG. And so just stare clear from that, those ones. Like don't apply there. Focus on places that have a, some kind of history of accepting an IMG in the past. I mean, it, it, was that your perspective as well? Was that your understanding? Yeah, so I think it's a game of chance. I would say as much as possible, stick to places that, you know, have probably a good IMG representation, even if it's not like five people in the program that are IMGs, even if it's just one person, or even if they have like a faculty that like is like an IMG or it looks like he's, you know, foreign. It's like an advantage, you know, because... That's, that's what I would say. It, it's a very simple art to select new programs. Yes, you know? I, agree. I agree with that. Like looking through the website and trying to figure out what kinds of, like who the IMGs have been in, the, in that program before is one easy way to, to tell as well. So yeah. just moving on into some other deep questions that we have for you. Yeah. So you talked to us about doing all the steps in one, almost in you know, 18 months or under. Can you tell us about, you know, what worked for you, especially seeing as you studied in a system where you had a seven year or I believe a five to seven year curriculum, you know, what worked for passing these exams? And did you pass them on the first attempt? Yeah. So I passed all my exams on the first attempt. Now I'm going to say a few things from my own personal experience. It's really hard as an IMG taking these exams, especially if you schooled in, let's say, Africa where it's more in tune with like the British system. So you have to like relearn everything you know. You know it, but you can answer questions. So I, at first, when I came to the US and I was preparing for my exams, I felt a little bit overconfident. And I would say that was like one of my maybe quote unquote regrets. I felt um, a little bit overconfident because I, I felt I was really okay in medical school. I was really top of my class in medical school. So coming to the US, you realize that you could know the same thing, but the questions are different. You know, it's not, it's less about like what you remember is more about what you understand. So I would say what helped me to survive, you know, to survive, like not fail. I I did average. I'm not saying I like, I scored like really top of like the charts, but what made me like have like good enough average scores was just being able to try to understand to the best of my ability, I use a lot of question banks. Um, question banks in itself, at first, I was using them wrongly. I was using them like past questions, like trying to test myself on how good I was. And I think that was a wrong, that was a wrong method. Actually, you should use the question banks 
to understand the material that you're studying, not to test yourself. The mock tests are like the ones that you use to test yourself. So you shouldn't be bothered about your percentages or all that. The question is, do you understand the concepts? Right, right. So I think that's a that's a really, really strong point to, to state because I think personally that, you know, the seven year, six to seven year curriculum that most other countries have is really, I mean, it's it's a really great system and and they teach you what you need to know. But the ways that their questions are set up is a very different format from the USMLE. So it's important right. for you know, IMGs that are coming in from these different systems to realize that the testing, the multiple choice questioning, it goes back to reasoning and understanding. And not everything is tested. It's sort of like, what's the highest yield things and learning mm-hmm. those things along the way. So yeah, those are some really great points there. Now, moving into your portfolio prior to applying. So you've been very clear with us. You applied to 120 places. You had one interview. Looking back at that process, what do you think are some things that did not work in your favor in your portfolio? Like, can you tell us what, if you could go back in time, what would you do differently? I would say I would have, I think, first of all, I would have spent maybe a little bit more time. My step one wasn't like above, like it wasn't above average. It was just really average. And I felt like the way this system is moving now, the averages keep moving up every year. So what was good enough last year or two years ago which was like my mindset, like, I think I did not update myself on like where the averages were as so when I was applying. So I was just like, you know, let me just get this out of the way. So right. I think in, retros- in retrospect, you really need to know where the averages are right now. When you know where the averages are, you have to walk yourself towards just around that average, you know, just around that average. That is not saying that if you get a lower score, you won't be able to get an interview. But if you want to feel comfortable going into the interview season, just try as much as possible to get around the average score. You know, let's say just around. You don't have to be like over the top or about the same score, but just around it. And I think apart from this cause, the lack of research, lack of research and um, hospital rotations, I would say, were the other like um, limiting factors for me. Research is not really much of a big deal, especially if you're going into family medicine, which I'm grateful for. But um, for most of the other specialties, like you need to, you know, have research. It helps. And lastly, I think the other thing is apply widely. That's the one thing I, I would always advise anyone. Apply widely. Almost all IMG IMGs want to end up in internal medicine because, you know, coming back from like foreign countries, there's always this like specialization and all that. So that's something that you have to really think about when you're applying for residency. I would advise apply widely. There are many programs that are not IMG friendly, if you look at the statistics, but are IMG friendly. I don't know how to explain that, but like if you look at the statistics, you would think they're not IMG friendly, but that's because many people don't apply to the programs. Absolutely. I agree with you on that, especially people that are interested in, you know, specialty program. So because IMG shy away from applying into it, they miss out on the opportunity to actually pass into it because the number of other IMGs applying is very low because everybody has discouraged them not to apply. When on the contrary, if you're interested in a specialty, please go for it. I mean, what's the worst that would happen? (laughs) You get in or you don't get in, but you never know until you try. try. And so... 
I really agree with that. And definitely things like research observerships, doing acting internships really do go a long way, especially for IMGs who have already completed medical school in another country. So as we come to the end of this episode, uh, do you have any final words for anyone listening who may be sort of starting out in this process? I would say you should have a time board. That's like number one thing. Have a time board, like get like a sheet of paper and tell yourself where do you want to be like in two years? Like you need to know, first of all, like when you apply for residency, right? Which is like September priority application. So you need to work with that. When do you want to match? That would help you to plan your exams. If I really benefited from that, like planning my exams out, like I wanted to be this, this, this at this step. When you put those goal points, it helps to motivate you even when you get tired in terms of writing your exams and being conscious of your year of graduation. Because I didn't want to apply because I wanted like really family medicine or internal medicine. And I didn't want to apply when I was like five years out. So it's something that you need to think about when you're preparing for the USMLE journey. Right, definitely. If an IMG wants to connect with you, how can they or where can they find you? Okay, I think I'm a millennial, if I'm not mistaken, I think so. <laughs> so IG, um, Instagram would be like a very good um, platform. Um, just shoot me a DM. I'm really hoping that in the next couple of years, I'll be in positions to help as many IMGs as possible. That's the one pledge I've made for myself. And anyone, you can reach me out on Instagram. It's Soto Rules, S-O-T-T-O-R-U-L-Z on Instagram. Just reach out to me and ask me any questions. I'll be really supportive. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have your Instagram handle in the show notes of this episode as well. Thank you so much for coming on and we wish you the very best as you begin your residency. We know that this is going to work out for you just fine. Thanks for calling in. It's a pleasure, Dr. Nina. Thank you for everything you do. You help me out and I'm willing to help any other person out too. Oh, I'm so Thank happy you. to hear that. The gift that keeps on giving, right? Yes. Like, you know, yes. It's, yes. you just need to keep giving and giving and giving and we'll have many more yeah. people like us training and practicing in the States in the near future. All right. 